And I do think that the misconception is when we see eye to eye, that means we see everything the same and we agree with everything the same. I don't think that's it. I think when we see eye to eye, it's like, okay, I understand now where you're coming from. I don't, I don't fully comprehend it because that's not my lived experience, but I see you, but I understand, right? That's where empathy comes in. Welcome to the Whiskey and Lemon Podcast. I am your host, Lana Mercedes. And I'm your guest, Ariel Astoria. Ariel is a spoken word poet, gifted writer and author, captivating and authentic MC and speaker. Welcome to the show, Ariel. Thank you for having me. How are you doing in this crazy 2020 year of ours? Oh my goodness. I like to break down my like, how am I in moments? <laughs> so in right. this- moment I'm doing fine you know okay good good I'm so glad to have you on finally got to connect and everything so we have so much to cover um if you can first start off I know I gave a brief introduction but just kind of tell the audience a little bit about yourself and things that maybe we just wouldn't know just from like looking at say your social media or something totally so I am a poet a speaker and an author and social media kind of offers a lot of different drop downs from that. So uh, doing social media storytelling or influencing, if you will, um, and brand partnerships and things like that, which are really fun. And I extremely enjoy them, but mostly the core of who I am is a writer. I love words. Um, I love speaking words. I love creating um, new phrases and new words through poetry. Um, I'm recently married. So that's like something you could congratulations kind of- on Instagram, but- I don't post a whole lot. And so, (laughs) but that is something that is new as well. And um, yeah, just like in a space of working on a lot of projects and being in this creative, um, not emptiness, but this space where we've been given permission to to create and to rest at the same time and really um, honing in that space. So if someone's asking you like, what do you do for a living? What's your, like your easiest way to kind of explain it to somebody? Yeah, like what I do for a living. Like, how do I? But they're just I, like, what's your career? Yeah, I, I'm like, well, it depends on the day. Um, it's kind <laughs> of where I go, but it's really just like I write or I speak, and I mean, obviously not in this setting, but I'm usually on stage doing those things. Mm-hmm. Now I'm virtual, so virtual stages, if you will. Um, and then I'm also creative. Sometimes when the opportunities arise, I'm a model. Um, so it's really just like, well, what day are you thinking? Like, or what, what week do you want to talk about? Um, right. But mostly for the most part, I just say I'm a poet, a speaker, or I say I'm a writer and a speaker and a creative, and they can kind of guesstimate from there. But. Right. Is it a transition mm-hmm. or adjustment for you now, since you're saying, you know, you're used to being on a stage now it's like this virtual stage. How are you adapting? It is different. I definitely miss, um, I miss being in person with people. I miss a physical stage, you know, I miss an audience. And so mm-hmm. At first, it was extremely like disorienting, and most of my gigs that were in person were all canceled within like two weeks of a time, and just like feeling that loss and and grieving those those opportunities to travel and to meet new people, which is always my favorite thing to do as a part of what I do. And so, as people started to adapt, you know, to this online space that we're in now, and and having more conferences that are online, it's different. It's definitely not the same, but I think. 
I've enjoyed what they have looked like, you know, so some conferences are virtual, like an in-person and some are like virtual and pre-recorded. So it's really fun to see how creative people are getting um, Mm -hmm. with setting it up and with having these online spaces that are also supposed to be engaging um, and encouraging and inspiring. And so I have a talk tonight that's like um, they're going through like a workbook and a series and there's different videos that they're given. And then there's a live element. So I'm a part of the live element tonight. And so just finding different ways to like show up. It's weird. It definitely is weird and it's not in person, but there's still a little void being filled. Yeah. Right. You use the word influencing Mm -hmm. and that is a huge, just like a huge polarizing view on that whole, on that word itself. So if someone refers to you as say an influencer, they say like, that's not real work or whatever. Like, how do you, what is your, your comeback for that? Uh, Well, I, I don't like calling myself an influencer. (laughs) So I prefer um, storyteller, social media storyteller or content creator because First and foremost, I'm an artist, you know, before influencing came along, before content Mm -hmm. came around, we were just all artists, you know? And so as a poet and as a speaker, like that's, that's the core of what I'm going to do. So um, the influencing word is really hard for me because it's like, usually it's just associated with getting people to buy things, you know, or a product, which Mm -hmm. I think we water down the word when we use it just in that sole capacity um, to influence means to impact, to make change, um, to um, shift people's perspective. Like that right. is, that is a responsibility, you know, like that mm-hmm. is, is heavy. And so me trying to, you know, when I do storytell with brands, I still try to be very authentic with my own story, with my own brand, with my own conversation, have it less be about buy this thing and more about like, where are you, you know, how does this product add to or take away, you know, from, from into our lives. And so I will, I never uh, call myself an influencer. Other people will, because that's the word being used, but Mm -hmm. for a storyteller or content creator um, because I want to tell stories I want it to be about my story or the story of other people and if there is a product being in introduced in that there's still an element of like but this is still funneling who we are as people um, and really focusing on that conversation instead right yeah you mentioned like authenticity and that's a big one because the word influencer just gets thrown around based on the amount of followers you have and then that is exactly what gets taken out of it. There's no authenticity. There's no like mind behind it. It's just like, I got this product. There's no, like, there has to be a level of inspiration, like influential than just saying there, and you know, um, now I'm losing the actual word influencer because you're telling me about something that you bought and now you're just, you're just more, it's more like convincing. So there has to be an element of like that person and their authenticity that's influencing someone. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about young Ariel. So what were your aspirations like as a child? Are you, cause I know you said you're an artist and I know a lot of times that starts young. So how did you kind of develop from there? Yeah. As a kid, um, well, I think like most kids, we kind of want to be everything, you know? And so we say <laughs> that we want to be everything. And I did, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a teacher and a barista and, um, you know, a movie. <laughs> And I I wanted to be all of it, you know? And so as a kid, I 
I was an artist already. You know, I would make up songs when guests came over. Um, I had a whole alter ego. Her name was Erica Wallace and she came out <laughs> and songs and wrote things and she's very dramatic. And so that was always kind of in me. Um, okay. and and the older, you know, I got, I still liked to do those things. I still like to write, but it becomes like, oh, but those are not things you can be, right? Um, those are things you can do on the side of your profession or your real life, but those are not things you can solely do. And so I started to really um, fall into that. And I was like, oh, but I'm passionate about other things. And wanting to be a teacher turned into more so wanting to like work in the psychology field. And so I went to college for, um, for psychology and, and theater and I double majored because I liked the arts, but then I also double majored because I was like, oh, how can I practical this? You know, how can I turn this into a real thing? And so I thought I was going to do art therapy for, for gifted children or, or children who are anywhere on the spectrum of autism or Asperger's or um, any type of learning disability. And so that's kind mm -hmm. of where, where my heart landed with the artist part of me. Um, and then the more I went throughout college, the more I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want to do psych. What if I don't want to work with just kids? I loved college students. Maybe I want to work with college students. Oh, maybe I'll work at a university. You know, it is kind of yeah. like but all the while I was still performing, still doing poetry, um, president of a poetry club on a competitive poetry team. So I was still doing all the art things, but yeah. at that time you're like, oh, it's just extracurricular. So this art part of me, this creative part of me was like ingrained as a kid. And so it's really interesting. Like my godmom will look at me and she's like, you are exactly who I thought you were going to grow up to be, you know? And she's like, cause I saw her, you know, yeah. in Erica Wallace, like she existed, you know, that was like, <laughs> That was my, uh, my husband, my, cause a story is my middle name and I use that for all my branding and everything. And so, um, mm -hmm. my, I used to call that my, my Sasha fierce. Um, and once upon a time that was Erica Wallace. So yes. Okay. So you do like what I do. Yeah. Cause I use a lot of people think Mercedes is my last name. It's my middle name. Uh, of course. Yeah. yeah. So yes. how did you then take that leap from the Bay to LA? Um, what oh. kind of led you into the world of poetry? Yeah. Well, I went to an arts high school in Oakland um, and my family is from the Bay. So I was born and raised there. My parents were pretty much both born and raised there. And so most of my family is still in the Bay and I'm the oldest. Um, so it was like, you know, getting ready to look at colleges and stuff and all the colleges that I was looking at pretty much were all out here um, in Southern California. I just like knew I wanted to go towards the sunshine. I was being <laughs> called and beckoned by the sun. And so I was like, I only really viewed schools out this way. And so my mom and I did a tour um, and I wound up at Azusa Pacific University and okay. uh, did uh, from 2010 to 2015. And so I had like a victory lap, I like to call. Um, and I was there and I, all my friends were from here. So when we graduated, it was like, well, I can't go home. You know, like I can't <laughs> leave. Um, everybody is here and I'm the oldest. And so I was like very stubborn of like, I'm not going home. You know, I'm going to figure out how to do this um, out here. And so I graduated and I just kind of like hopped around to different places out here and fell in love with Southern California um, and, and just being here. And it made more sense for being a poet, for being an artist. And I'd always written, like I said, I went to an arts high school. So I did a lot of short plays and monologues and I wrote those things. Um, mm -hmm. and 
and that kind of turned into a spoken word um, as I began like more storytelling through my own vulnerability and the vulnerability of other people. And um, I've always written poetry. That's just kind of how I process the world. And so, yeah, that transitioned into doing it full time when I graduated because nothing else really seemed like the thing to do. Right. Um, and, and so I've been doing it professionally for about six, six years now. Very nice. And is it a, any particular, like, what is your, is there like a theme to your poetry? Mm-hmm. What actually calls you? Yeah. So my, my motto is words for the ear, words, not for the ears, but for the soul. And that's like on my website and everything. And it's mostly like, if I just get on stage and people only see my outfit or kind of hear what I said, that I'm not doing my job as an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to do is create words, create experiences for people to feel and feel deeply and walk away feeling more seen and more known um, than when they when they arrived. And so um, all my work is kind of tied to that, uh, either that's more racial focused um, and injustice focused um, for Breonna Taylor or um, all the people we've lost and specifically women that we've lost to police brutality, or it's calling people magic um, and reminding them of their own value and their own worth and so however I'm conveying whatever message it is I'm conveying it comes back to that um, you're not just going to hear this you're going to feel it and you're going to feel it deeply and sometimes a lot of times that results in people crying um, which is great because I feel like it's just tapping into something that we tend to ignore or right. call weakness and it's not our ability to feel is is what makes us human and so creating spaces with words to be able um, to do that yeah right do you have a process when it comes to your poetry I when I'm doing curated poems so that's poems that I'm hired to write um, hired to create those are a little bit more like this is my office that you're seeing here so me in my office there's Bonavere playing or some type of instrumental music mm-hmm. and I'm in the zone. Um, and I am usually looking at a website or a par- paragraph or some type of content that they've given me to write the piece. Um, okay. Other poems I that I've written just on my own accord are my, are my spill poems is what I say. I usually say spill instead of writing because it's not a process at all. It's very much so like this poem is coming you need to write it down. Um, so that happens in the shower. It happens during yoga. It happens while driving. Like those are the poems that just kind of flow um, mm-hmm. out of me. Um, but usually there is always music involved, um, but I'm very easily inspired or triggered or however you want to say it mm-hmm. by a lot of different things. So um, there is a process and then there isn't a process at the same time. I got you. And then if it's happening when you're like in the shower or you're driving or something in the middle of an event, what is it like? What do you do then? Do you remember about your phone? You're using notes oh, and something that stays in I'm your like, head. I'm like, cool, cool, rinse off, da, 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 and I'll keep repeating so <laughs> I can remember in my head or I'll okay. keep saying it. Um, and then I have to go to computer to voice memo. If it's in my car, I voice memo a lot. Um, so I'll just start saying whatever it is I can remember. And it's not usually the most coherent, but then I'll go and, and transcribe it later and write it down. Um, usually like in mid conversation, like this happened a lot when I first started dating my husband, cause he just inspired a lot in me. And I just mm-hmm. be like, I'm so sorry, but like, I have to write this down and I, I, you can keep going, but like I <laughs> down on paper. And so even now 
I'll like, does he know, right? It's like, I'm, it's not that I'm not listening to you, but what you said just inspired something bigger. Like, I gotta put, I'm I'm so sorry, but I gotta put this. (laughs) And now we'll be in conversations and I'll just stop talking and I'll pull out my phone and be like, are you writing? I'm like, "Mm -hmm." and I'll just like, now he he gets it. Yeah. Yeah. But before it was like, I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to be rude, but like, I really have to put this down on paper. So Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so you also mentioned too, you were the, the self-expression or you said like it spills, right? So how do you feel, or let me backtrack, not how do you feel? Do you have those moments when there are people trying to, because you, you mentioned like, you know, that we're losing people to police brutality when people are trying to hush you when it comes to those words, what, how do you, how do you feel? How do you handle those situations? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'm at a place now where I have a pretty strong discernment in knowing what pieces need to exist in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And therefore, I respond audaciously to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, thank you for sharing that. Or I get what you're trying to say, but that's not what I'm feeling, you know? And right. Um, I, I recently actually had a few people back out of a project that I was doing because of their own, you know, convictions and their own space of not feeling right about it, which just further fueled the fact that I was supposed to do it, you know, it further fueled like, okay, well, that's their conviction and this is mine. Um, this piece needs to exist. And so I'm definitely at a point where I'm, I don't ask for permission necessarily it's very much so like I think this is supposed to exist in the world and Mm -hmm. that's all my responsibility is is to do that um is to put forth the work and I think especially as artists um what what artists do is speak to things that are uncomfortable and they speak to things you know that people may not know about um they speak to not what was but what is and what will be and that people don't always understand that you know but Mm -hmm. the artist does the artist understands that the work exists and um, that they're made for it and regardless the words are the words the song the dance or whatever it may be needs to be put out in the world and that's all that's we only have like that peripheral of like I'm so I get it I'm so sorry but like this is what I'm here to do and I I don't know what else to tell you yeah yeah and so you also mentioned that you because I think this is great I heard someone just say you you have to feel to heal, right? So you're saying you're spilling your words and it sometimes it'll make people cry. And that's something that maybe we're hiding. So I'm really big too on like internal happiness and not feeling like we need these outside things, material things, you know, to help us or make us happy. Mm -hmm. I need this thing and then I'll be happy kind of situation. So how do you find that you convey that through your work? Because I know there's a lot of like positivity, self-expression that you portray through your poetry and- how, how do you not only do that, but also within yourself? Because just talking to you, I can tell you have like that natural happiness. Obviously we have, you know, our bad days, but how do you keep that going? Yeah, I think I find, I'm by nature um, a positive person. Mm-hmm. Like I by nature, uh, um, there's a silver lining, you know, like, yeah, it's pouring rain, but like, guess what happens after rain? Rainbows, you know, like I'm just naturally... Yeah. Um, that, that person. Um, and it's definitely about finding the balance because I'm also an Enneagram four, if you're familiar with that. And so Enneagram four is like, we'll sit in the grief, like we'll mm-hmm. sit in the sad stuff with like no qualms, you know? Right. And 
I, I have both, you know, um, I know how to find hope in things. I know how to find, um, the light in things, but that, I think that's only because I also, I don't, I'm not afraid to sit with grief. I'm not afraid to sit, Mm -hmm. um, sadness. I'm not afraid to sit with the hard and messy things that are confusing. Like I process through them, you know, I'm, I write them. And so knowing that, you need both in life, you know, in order to heal, like you're talking about, you, you got to heal from something, which means like, you're going to be in those moments. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, this is like awful. And and this really sucks. But like, what can we learn here? You know, like how, how can we grow here? Um, and know that this, everything is in season. So this won't last and really, um, really believing that really knowing that. So I will sit with it, with it while I need to, and know that there will be light at the end of this, there will be growth at the end of it. So the positivity, I guess, comes from balancing, you know, both, both, both joy and grief and um, happiness and sadness and knowing how to um, not dodge one or the other, but to sit Mm -hmm. with both when, when it comes about. Yeah. It's funny too, that you mentioned being an Ingram for, I'm obsessed with the Enneagram. I actually had someone on a few episodes back that um, Enneagram guide, professional Enneagram. And Mm -hmm. I know that that's about like artistic and self-expression. So as you're talking, I'm like, I'm wondering if she's an Enneagram for, then you you start off. I'm like, yes. (laughs) Individualistic, hopeless, romantic. We are affectionately called. I also know that you are you hold on to your faith and that's a big part of you and just how you live life and, and move in the world. What does that mean to you and how does that um, affect your day to day? Yeah. Well, I grew up, um, I grew up with like a pastor's kid. I am, I grew up with like very being very ingrained in church. Um, and faith has always been like the thread. It's, it's the pulsing orb in the middle of why you do the things you do and why you are the way you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has always been the consistency for me. Um, it's definitely shifted as I've grown up and, and how I view God and where I view God is, is shifting and changing, but that orb, if you will, that consistency is still very much so there. Like, I don't know how not to talk about being tied to something bigger than me. You know, I don't know how not to um, be aware that there's this divine orchestration and this pool um, that is happening um, in what we do and who we are and how we interact with people. And I think for me, it's just like, as as an Enneagram for the whole hopeless romantic or the romantic thing is not necessarily with like intimacy, like it's in everything, you know? So I'm at a sunset. I'm like, oh, this is the most beautiful thing ever, you know? And you're, <laughs> and you're like, how could you not believe that something created this, you know? Like, and not to- right. Not to say that um, you you can't believe that, but for me and the context that I have with faith and with spirituality, it's like I can't not look at that and and feel like there is that there was someone behind that, you know, or something behind that. And so the same is funneled into my art. I think a lot of it is sometimes like the spilling is a download, you know. Um, I really do feel like these words are sometimes being given to me. Um, and, and I think 
for me, that's God, you know, given to me from God and um, being able to share those with people. And also sometimes they're just for me and um, my own little love note. And so for me, it's like, yeah, it's this constant orb and flow of why I exist and why I do the things that I do. And I think how I love people as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one, how you love people. Because it's, for me, in order to know, like, the meaning of love is, like, to know God because you know you're loved by him. So that's how you show that love. Like, that's that's the first thing you have right. to, for me, I have to know him in order to be able to love. So that's a really big thing. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, too, because you mentioned, you know, you can shoot, everyone has their right to believe, you know, whatever it is that they believe. And in the world that we're living in today, it's so polarizing. There's a stigma on this thing or that thing. And someone's quick to just judge or cancel someone, as we know, in this culture that we have today. So what are your views on that? You know, if someone, say, hears you speaking on this episode or sees that you're posting something and it has to do with your faith and they're automatically, well, I'm going to cancel her. I don't believe in that yeah. the, um, polarity in cancel culture that yeah. you can disagree with right. a certain aspect of someone and not completely cancel them. Yeah. 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 There's no, there's no grace in canceling. That's where I have a really hard time with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no space for like, growth in canceling there's no you know it's just very like off with their head and I'm just like where (laughs) how how is that beneficial to anyone you know um the canceled or the canceler like how how does that foster um humanity how does that foster seeing each other and so I know that right now there is even a polarizing within faith, you know, and there is a, there is a polarizing that's like, well, I'm not, I'm not that type of believer. I'm not that type of believer. And so I'm going to cancel one or the other. And even as I'm sitting in like social media and people will post things and I'm like, okay, I'm, (laughs) you know, grace. I'm like, okay, happens again. You're like, grace 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 happens the third time and it's like i'm gonna mute you i'm not gonna unfollow you i'm not but i am going to mute this because this mm-hmm. is not beneficial for me and this is not beneficial for you but the grace is i'm not just going to be like well i'm unfollowing them and blocking them and boop 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 boop, boop or posting about them and what they say or posting about them and and there is a balance right what what is what is the intention behind canceling um, what is the intention? Is the intention to prove a point? Is the intention to um, to try and get them to see a different perspective? And usually we can't answer those questions with the canceling being the result because it right. doesn't, it does nothing but just I'm done, <laughs> you know? And then it's, right. I'm, I'm over it. And that's fine. I think there is a balance to the boundaries that we have set for ourselves, but then at the same time, how do we be a human humanity? How do we be a community? How do we be people who love um, each other? How do we be brothers and sisters in this thing called life? Um, if it's just like left and right, just cancel, 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 cancel. And so I think, I think there is uh, consequences for actions. You know, I think there is. Um, spaces for reckoning and reconciliation. I just don't 
think cancel is the is the reason for it you know right and I'm all for like you know seeing different protests of like oh well I don't I don't drink Starbucks because x y and z it's like okay I get that or I don't eat this place because x y and z I'm like okay that's your decision you get to make that they are still making money though you know so it's like you personally canceled them who's learning from this, you know, who, who's gaining from this. And so that's something that I've really just like been wrestling with is like, oh, there's no grace. There's no room for grace and canceling. Yeah. And, um, there's always room for grace, you know, for yourself and for other people. And so how can we incorporate that more, um, than the, the non-forgiving, um, this is just what it is space that doesn't grow any of us, you know, um, at all. So yeah, I think that's really what it is for me. Yeah. I love that you use that word. Cause I think a lot of things could have changed if it was for grace. That's I, just when it's lacking, there's no empathy. Um, you know, we all make mistakes. I'm sure we've all said things maybe you know, you know, we'll find out someone tweeted something from 10 years ago, whatever it is. I'm sure there could have been something we said out of ignorance. Maybe we just said it and it came out wrong. We didn't mean it. We didn't know any better. So like you said, if you're canceling, it's not helping anyone. There's no education being done there. If I said something and someone canceled me, how do I know I even said it? And that's another thing cancel culture tends to do right now is bring up the past um which means you're always being held to who you were and mm-hmm. not who you are not who you're becoming and so mm-hmm. that's where really just like now we're just pointing out <clears throat> what you did and who you were without really asking or knowing if that's who you are today again there's no grace there's no room for grace so that's something where I have a really hard time of like oh you're pulling out stuff from the archives. Well, so-and-so said this in 1970, so they're canceled today. I'm like, <laughs> what in the world? Like, that is insane. Right. Like, we not move forward. Yeah. Well, if that is if that is the culture we are going to continue to sit in. So I if we don't... could pull transcripts on everyone's oh, words, we'd all be canceled. Yeah, we're all, I mean, we're all flawed and messing up and we do crazy things and we hurt people and we get hurt and it just cycles mm-hmm. over and over again. So if that is the prerequisite for being canceled, we are all truly canceled, you know? So yeah. it's just where, where does it end then? You know, if it starts there, then where does it end? And if there is no end, then why are we just going to go in this vicious cycle? Yeah. Right. So you mentioned that you like your poetry to be words for ears, not, or I'm sorry, not for the ears, but for the soul. So have you ever had to maybe have one of those, have a discussion with someone where obviously you're going to choose grace over canceling? How did you handle that situation? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm- in regards to even what's going on today. Yeah, I think there's like, again, the balance, right? Finding boundaries for your sanity and your well-being, but then also finding space to have conversation, right. um, especially as women of color, not falling into the trap of being the educator um, for our own uh, oppression, you know, not being the educator for our own um, um, 
racial injustice. That's not it. Um, but then also finding conversations and spaces for perspective, right? You mm-hmm. are acting this way because you don't have the same perspective that I do. So let me have this conversation with you about perspective. If it gets to the point where an argument is just being um, pushed or an agenda is being pushed, then there will be no seeing eye to eye. There will be no seeing perspective. And I do think that the misconception is when we see eye to eye, that means we see everything the same and we agree with everything the same. I don't think that's it. I think when we see eye to eye, it's like, okay, I understand now where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't fully comprehend it because that's not my lived experience, but right. I see you, but I understand, right? That's where empathy comes in. It's not, I get, oh yeah, I get it because I had a situation like X, Y, and Z. That's not it at all. It's, we're seeing eye to eye because I'm now seeing a perspective that was not my own, that I'm able to understand a little bit more cohesively now Mm -hmm. outside of my own lived experience. And so having those moments, you know, and some conversations are really great. Some are like, we're never going to get there, you know, and that's fine. And also with the social media space and age dms are not conversations you know like that's not not comments are not (laughs) they are um fleeting engagements in a space where we may never actually get to physically see eye to eye you know um and that is where we're living right now which makes it really hard i'm like don't if it does get to the point where i'm like okay we're not seeing it go have these conversations with people in your immediate community, people you could actually knock on their door, have coffee with, see in person, go have conversations with those people because that is not happening here, you know, especially not through this yet because this is not a conversation. This is a social exchange. Um, And that is very different to you. It's very different. It's just not, you know, it's just like when we were Facebook friends and it's like, oh, that's my friend. I was like, well, actually we're just friends on this Facebook, you know, like it's just the word things. And so being really intentional with those words and how we see things is, is important too as well. Yeah. Right. So you mentioned that you are newly married Mm -hmm. and I want to ask you too, because with everything that's going on in the world, how are you, how are you and your husband moving through this space right now? Um, well, we, I mean, we got married in the pandemic, so that is its own layer of things. Um, I think being our relationship being built and founded in this space, uh, makes it very unique. Um, in a Mm -hmm. sense, I think we have an awareness and the sensitivity to each other and to other people that I don't think we would have had otherwise. Um, and, and so, when we got married that weekend, my uncle passed away. Uh, the few days later was everything with, um, I believe it was Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, no, it was George Floyd. Um, everything happened with George Floyd right after that. And then mm-hmm. that next Saturday after, so like a week later, we had our Zoom reception and then we were at a protest the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest thing about that was I got very lucky um, to have a white man who, um, one, is going to school to study history. Um, he wants to be a history teacher. And his awareness of stories and cultural and historical context um, is very unique. Um, mm-hmm. So I have never had to explain 
me being a black woman to him right necessarily there's experiential things like oh well this is how I take my my twists and then my hair looks like this after like you know there's <laughs> like that yeah. um but there's never like my people have experienced in oppression because of slavery and X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't have to tell him those very basic mm-hmm. because he already knows them yeah. um, and is already very aware of those things. And especially now with him going to school to be a history teacher, we're very um, in tune with like, you will teach this one day. Our kids will learn about this space and time one day and they will they won't ask, you know, well, what happened? They're going to say, you lived that. How did you respond to it? Who were you in that space? You yeah. know, and we're like, well, we got married as an interracial couple, you know, like we, we, we had these moments where it's like, we had these hard conversations and how do we want our kids to grow up? And what does that look like for them being black and white, you know, and like, oh, but the world will only see them as black and just like, go, we have all of those conversations. Yeah. Uh, and I've never not felt supported or seen by him as, as my husband and as a white man. Like we actually, one of my most common DMs right now have been from other couples, other interracial couples, and usually the woman who is the person of color and them asking, you know, like, what do you tell your husband to like post what he posts? And I'm like, I don't tell that boy nothing. Like he, he literally, he's going to post what he want to post. He's going to share what he wants to share. So him reading, you know, um, John Perkins and him reading Malcolm X, I don't, I don't have to tell him to do those things. Like he naturally is a learner and someone who wants to understand and gain perspective outside of his own. And I mean, he is white, you know, physical by nature, but in terms of the stereotypical um, privilege our lives are flip-flopped, you know, like I went to a private Christian university. I was, you know, always around people of color. He did not, you know, go, he's going to college now. Um, he grew up, you know, a little bit like not having the same privileges as, as I have of just like living in a home, you know, I'm um, not being on food stamps, things like that. So you look at us and you're like, oh, black woman, white man, but like our stories are very different from underneath, you know? And mm-hmm. so that awareness too of him being usually the only white dude in a room, you know, is very different for someone else. So, I mean, like there's so many different layers to it. Um, But yeah, a lot of it is just like, who are we? Um, Who do we want to be? Um, When you teach this one day, uh, what, who will you say, you know, we were and what we did. And when our kids ask us, you know, like um, we will respond accordingly that we got married. And then a week later we were at a protest because it mattered to us, Mm -hmm. um, to both of us, you know, not just me. And I dragged him along. It was his idea to go to the protest, you know? And so (laughs) there's just like, yeah, I feel very fortunate to have, the partner that I have, um, not only right now in this time, but just in general. Um, and, um, and his family is really great. Like I've never been around them and been like, Ooh, babe, that was like a little cringy, you know, like we should probably talk about that. Yeah. Like I'm just very seen and accepted, which is, um, I realize is a privilege in itself. Um, so yeah. Okay. And have you ever, have the two of you ever been in this situation where it is maybe not family friends or something where, you're feeling like you're being treated a certain way or he's feeling he's being treated a certain way. And how do you handle that? We've had that um, when we first started dating. Um, I mean, the, the regular conversation. And you said you, you two met in college? 
We met, no, we actually met two years ago via Instagram, which is really fun. Um, And so we, yeah, we met on Instagram. His sister had followed me, sent him one of my poems, and then he started following me back and I DM'd him and it just went from there. Okay. Um, (laughs) We met through Instagram. um, And so for me, his first awareness of me was my voice. He didn't know what I looked like or anything like that. And then kind of me from that, which is pretty cool. Um, But we only had one moment when I did first start dating him and I had someone say, you know, congrats on your relationship, um, but we just have to make sure he's not a colonizer. Sorry, it just has to be said. And that wrecked both of us um, because it was like completely out of context you don't know him, you know, like you don't. And so this was that, someone close to you. This was someone I dated prior um, and wasn't necessarily okay. a friend. Um, we had gone dates and started to build a friendship, but then he started dating someone else and it just kind of trickled off, you know? Yeah. So then he started dating, starting dating John a few months later, that conversation came up and it was just like, I'm so, I like, first of all, you don't know me well enough yeah. to have that kind of conversation. Two, you don't know him. Um, and I mean, especially within at least the Black community, like when we did go out, it was always like dirty looks from Black men, you know, of like, um, mm. why not be with a Black person or a Black man, um, which is, I'm I really, whoever I would have fallen in love with, I would have fallen in love with it, you know? So right. the fact that John is who he is, um, it was, I didn't fall in love with him because he was white, you know, like I fell in love with who he is, you know, right. and the questions he asked me and how he perceived me and how yeah. he saw me and how he treats you, how he treats me. Yeah. yeah. How, how he sees me, how he can, our first date was literally eight hours because we just talked the whole time, you know? And mm-hmm. so there, that was like the only, you know, distinct memory I can think of um, when it came to like this weird discomfort in regards to who we are racially. Um, And I'm sure there will be others um, and that we will take on as they come. But for the most part, that was the only one. And I didn't want to have a conversation with him. You know, I just was like, how do I bring this up? You know, like, how do we talk about this? And we did. And it was just like creating that boundary with that person and, and things like that. And, and just protective, you become very protective over your partner, regardless, you know? Yeah. Um, and so just being very protective of our space, you know, from that, but we're very fortunate and very lucky that we haven't had more situations. And I think that's also just the time frame we live in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and an interracial couple is, is, is more seen as quote unquote acceptable than it was just <laughs> years ago which is really wild to think about but yeah I also want to touch on the fact that you are a model yeah you know we all have these things about us that maybe someone's judging so like at what point in your life did you feel like I need to kind of make this more of a stance was it something personal other people around you that you were seeing um things were happening where you kind of made this a part of of your your identity to bring more awareness to that yeah well I didn't like necessarily set out to be a model necessarily in Instagram it's kind of hard to convey that you were a writer you know or that I did Mm -hmm. poetry and I didn't like a lot of the videos that I did because they were dark and grungy and they just didn't match like who my personality was so I never (laughs) posted 
you know? So I would just post me in clothes or I like to shop, you know? So I would post that and most of my friends are, are photographers. So they would have campaigns that I would do. And so that's kind of how that started. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't set out to go and be a model. It was just like, people were like, oh, can I send you these swimsuits or can I send you this? And can you wear it? And I was like, yeah, sure. I guess like, this is- <laughs> and so my first couple shoes and campaigns were swimsuits, um, which was super wild because just like growing up, how I grew up, like pretty reserved, like didn't ever wear a two-piece, didn't own a two-piece, you know, and here I was being flown to Portugal to wear a bikini. And it was just like super weird. I was like, this is insane, you know? And I was usually the, the, usually the only person of color model and also the curvy model. So I kind of filled, you know, those, uh, Mm. those roles, if you will. And um, at first it was like, you want, you want me to put the swimsuit on my body and like, you're going to actually like use that like as advertisement, you know, like as a reason to buy your items, which was like really crazy to think about. And I'm definitely leaning out of the body positive world because I think the positive aspect is um, a little limiting and because our body journeys are not always positive, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. we feel like a potato and sometimes we feel like Beyonce. So it kind of really like they're (laughs) fluctuating to it. And so I'm really just finding the space of like radical self-love with your body in the present space that it's in. Um, And uh, Sonia Renee Taylor talks about that in her book, The Body is Not an Apology. Um, And so for me, it was less about like trying to be a certain way and more so just like, this is how I'm coming to terms with my own body. Um, This is how I'm coming to terms with embracing my curves and embracing the fullness of who I am, you know? Um, And then it just so happened to be an encouragement to other people, to be, you know, an encouragement to other women. Well, they're they're tagging me in their swimsuit photos and like, you're the reason, you know, I felt I'm not confident enough to do this, which is like so wild. I'm like, thank you so much. But like, I'm also sitting in like sweatpants or yoga pants with a big t-shirt today because like, I feel awful, you know, like just about my, and so finding that, that balance has been like super necessary, but I love, I think modeling is just another form of storytelling for me. It's just through pictures, you know? So I love being able to storytell in that way of using an image to capture something, you know, to capture a smile, to capture a mold, to capture a body, you know, to capture a stomach birthmark or whatever it may be. And so for me, it's, it's still all about like, how can I continue this narrative of, of enoughness for yourself and for other people, even through sometimes modeling. So, yeah. yeah. So what does that mean for you when you do have people that are, you know, tagging you on their photos and just saying like, Mm -hmm. Oh, look, like I didn't have the confidence. Mm -hmm. How does that make you feel? I mean, it's, it's like, um, too much responsibility. I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, but it's like, thank you. But also like, that was you, you know, like at the end of the day, you put on this swimsuit, you might have seen me in it and it encouraged you to do that. But like, at the end of the day, you, you did it. Like give yourself some credit kind of thing. Usually what I say after, after that is like, give yourself credit. But then also I say, thank you. I'm honored to be part of your journey because at the end of the day, it's theirs. You know, what's happening with them is with them. I just get to be this little seed or this little piece of what's happening um but it's their journey and so I tend to say thank you for being here um I'm honored to be part of your journey and kind of like not 
dismissing the responsibility, but then also just equipping them. It's, this is your power. These are your decisions. These are you're doing. I just get to be like, kind of like the commercial, you know, that set the craving, but like, I'm not the one who actually went and got the, the burger. I don't know why I'm using that example, but that's no, what I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes sense because I feel like there are a lot of people when we go back to that word, like influencing, you know, where you don't, um, I, I heard a story. I can't remember who it was, where they said that they heard their friend in a party or something saying, yeah, I'm an influencer. I have so many influence or I have so much influence over my friends. You know, they just look up to me for, it was, you know, someone that I don't, I don't know what she did, but it wasn't the person that heard it thought to themselves, you're not influencing me anything. You're just, you know, they, and they weren't even really that close. It was like, they just kind of connected through social media. And so I think that is a testament too, to your, self-expression or like artistic ability too because if it's the influencer that's saying yes I have influence over all these people and taking all that credit it's then taking away from those people that maybe they are getting inspired by you but allow them to take that reins what if you disappear off Instagram then it's like they need you to then you know go on that journey that's where we kind of get into like idolizing and things like that you have to be able to take that credit for yourself the celebrity thing that I like don't mess with it. it's just kind of like a pedestal um and it's it's honoring until it's limiting I think um and and really just like even the using the term influencer I'm like that is a weight and I love words you know so I'm like I looked up what the influencer act or influence actually means and I'm like mm-hmm. you look at the drop down and the definition of people who are considered that you know, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, I'm like, right, like, (laughs) dismantled that word, you know, so I get, you know, you can be, um, you can be an influence, but how are we using that, you know, and being really intentional with how we're using that word, I think, right, uh, really important to me. And so it's like, again, thank you for letting me be part of your journey. But like, these are actions you're doing and you're making and decisions Mm -hmm. you're ultimately deciding to do. There was just an imprint, you know, or there was just an inspiration or a spark. um, And I got to be that spark. And that's super incredible. I'm super honored. Now, what do you do with it? You know, because at that point, it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with you and where you're at. And so kind of being like, thank you. I've been giving this back to you, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, we need more of that, like humble space. It's not to take away from the people that may be doing the inspiration, you know, to other people, but also, like you said, yeah, giving, thank you, but I'm giving it back to you because you're the one that actually took that step. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do you take from, um, I know you're moving away from, like you said, sometimes we have these good days, bad days, you want to move away from just like strictly body positivity. It's not all positive. So I feel like there's these and I'm, I'm sure it trickles down, but two of like the main ones, I feel like are some people that are saying, you know, body positivity means like, you're not going to, you know, I don't like that word. Cause it means people are saying like, don't work out or don't be healthy and just like take yourself as you are and, and promoting the wrong things. And then there are the other people that are like, that's just like, that's not something I want to look at and have this total negative space where then it makes them feel justified to judge someone just because of their body. Even maybe that person's not happy with their body. That doesn't mean you get to judge them or discriminate against them because of how they look. How do you move in that space? 
Yeah. Well, I feel like um, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, where do I even anywhere you want, girl? <laughs> taken very personal processes and we have created spectacles out of them. Um and the body positive space one um started with fat black or people of color a lot of um lgbtq plus mostly trans you know men and women who were like there is no space for us to be accepted for our bodies and that's how the body positivity space started it's not what it is now um now it's like look at my tummy roll when i sit down. <laughs> you know like now it's like my thighs shake uh when i move them <laughs> like it's <laughs> right. very, uh, we have a lot of watered down spaces right now you know and so when when you take that out of the body positive space um then it becomes like well diet culture and non-diet culture then it becomes like being present in your body and being very anti-working out there's again it's because you have all these personal processes that are have been overlapped Mm -hmm. and have now become spectacles and so for me coming into the space i noticed like a lot of the people i was around had had past with eating disorders and i was like well I don't identify as having a past with an eating disorder. I just have always been a bigger body and have never fully loved that, you know, like, and so finding all these personal and personal processes turned into these spectacle spaces. And so it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, if you want to work out, work out. If you want to eat pizza, eat pizza. If you like, it, it's a very personal journey. Um, I like doing both because I like the way I feel after I exercise, after I move my body, I'm more focused. I'm, I'm, I am able to create better. I can sleep better. So for me personally, I am a curvy, bigger body, but I like movement. I like exercising. I don't necessarily like these extreme diets or anything like that, but I also have a lot of weird allergies. So I can't eat a bunch of fast food. Again, it's really hard to convey all that in this sphere up well this is body positivity no because this is my personal perspective this is my personal journey now made a spectacle and all I know how to do is to speak to me you know and to my own journey and to my own process and so I mean there will be people who will say that I'm unhealthy or I'm x y and z that's fine for them to think and believe I know my body you know like I know myself and the same for other people and so I think it's a very confused space. It's a very com- convoluted space. And I, yeah. I don't know. I think the original intent of it, like I said before, has definitely veered. Um, and then it clumped together and it's all these personal spaces and personal journeys that have become platforms, that have become brands, um, that have become spectacle conversations. And I just, our bodies are, are secret places and not all of it is for everyone. And so finding spaces to, yeah, share your victories and share your struggles, but then also realize the journey itself, the process itself, the work itself, you have to do, you know? Very and, true. Yeah, just like really being in that space. So I've, I mean, I've just been kind of uh, deconstructing, if you will, the body positive space in general. And um, yeah, it's not as inclusive as it, as it 
in, was intended to be and that is problematic <laughs> you know because it's yeah. about bodies and we all have bodies they're just right. different what are some mantras that you live by just anything that kind of helps you have grace um, move through the world when you feel like you're between a rock and a hard place just kind of things that help you you know stay at peace with yourself yeah my my recent one as of like yesterday has been protect your personhood um yesterday I just was like we'd had a few social interactions with people at parks and things like that and Mm -hmm. that starts to wear on you a lot differently than it used to now um and so I had had like a few of those on Friday and Saturday so Sunday I like recluse like I slept in late I went for a walk um to listen to something I needed to prep for um and then I ran errands all by myself like I was barely on Instagram I wasn't really talking to people like I just needed to like protect my personhood water my plant clean my house like that was really just all I was about um and that's really necessary um uh, protecting your your space and your craft and um recently I I think I posted you know we talk a lot about flowers in the face but you really don't talk about the vase itself we are the vase you know we are the things our giftings we are the things that hold the words we speak and what we share and if the vase is not protected then the things we're holding can't be protected um you are the vase um and so reminding myself of like you know the same as like the body is a temple or the body is a sacred space is just my my I'm a vase am I protecting my vase right now am I protecting the thing the things that I'm holding um am am I uh being conscious of the vessel and um so those are those are some things I've been thinking about and um yeah just like uh groundedness has been really big for me as well um know where your feet are you know um it's kind of another one of like not very good at being present so I have to constantly remind myself of like know where your feet are my feet are here and right now so those are those have been a few that have been um super necessary over the past couple weeks yeah right and then you mentioned to staying away from social media when you need to I know when the pandemic first started I deleted my app I was off of it for two months and it was just the most amazing yeah it was like a like a juice cleanse (laughs) like I just really needed to just expel all the negative energy especially because it's social media and so everything that you're already trying to escape from the news is now going to be on Instagram and scroll and see it a million times do you how do you maintain that now so how are you because you're like you said you're in this digital space versus being on a physical stage how do you handle your social media usage balancing that for your mental health but also doing what you need to do for work right um definitely it's like a tricky balance that I think fluctuates week to week almost Mm -hmm. like week it was like okay yesterday I I kept going to my planning app and I kept editing different photos to try and post and I was like why are you forcing this you know like why are you trying to I posted every week every day this week so what you know like why are you (laughs) trying to do that and so by the time it got and I was like looking at my like scheduling and when it went at my when to post and I was like this is 
foolish. You're not posting today, be it. You know, like, and you really don't want to be on there right now because you're overstimulated, you know? So I wasn't, I wasn't, I was like maybe sharing a thing here or there. But for the most part, I was like, I don't even, where, what room is my phone in? <laughs> you know, like that was me yeah. yesterday. It's really necessary to have that. I run my own social media. I also work for a nonprofit. I run their social media. So I'm I'm very oversaturated by it. And so I really have to give myself a permission or a space or a day to not have to be on it. So, you know, scheduling things out, I'm giving myself permission to step back like and, and scheduling those things. So it's like Friday. I know my husband and I are going to the Huntington Gardens and that's usually where we just like wander around, you know, the space, mm-hmm. we put our books and we put our phones away, you know? And so that is my like, okay, do schedule what you need to schedule, get done what you need to get done. So schedule it out. I think is really important for me of like, okay, I'm going to get stuff done now because I know Friday, you know, for a few hours, I'm not about to be on my phone like that, you know? And so really finding that space. Um, and then it's like, Another thing is we, it doesn't have to be captured right now. And if you do capture it, capture it and put it away. It doesn't have to be a capture and post every time. And that's something that I think marriage has taught me because my husband will just, he'll be like, I don't know. I deleted it. I don't know. I haven't looked. And I'm like, well, must be nice. You know, he's very good at like, <laughs> creating those boundaries. Yeah. No, he's probably right. I should probably not, you know, wake up and do it. So finding those balances um, are really important as well. Um, and, and just knowing that the world, it's fine. You know, the world will continue without you. Right. Um, they need your post, you know, they don't, yeah. they, you're fine. Your sanity is, you need your important. mental health more than they need yeah. your post. <laughs> your, your sanity is more important. And the thing is you can't continue the work if you're not feeling back in, you know, so yes. social media is a lot of outpouring, a lot of outpouring, a lot of giving, 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 giving. So if you're only doing that and you're never filling back up, you're going to run out pretty soon. So I've been trying to not get to points of burnout because I have gotten there many times and just being like, that's not very fun, you know, and then you're exhausted and yeah. motivation for anything. So finding little siestas throughout the week um, to kind of step back. Yeah. yeah I love, I love that thing. Like you can't pour from an empty glass. Mm-hmm. No, you yep. need to, yeah. You need to recharge. Yeah. Ariel, it's been so great having you on the podcast. I just appreciate your presence and like all the positivity and wisdom is just flowing. Like you don't know what I'm going to ask you and it's just going, speaking from the heart. So it's been amazing. Mm-hmm. I have one more question that I like to ask all my guests. So, you know, the podcast is called Whiskey and Lemon. We have two Ariels that walk into a bar and we have one at, when did you move to LA? What age? Um- like uh oh my gosh like uh 19 19 all right perfect so two ariels walk into a bar we have one at 19 and one today and Mm -hmm. 19 year old ariel is just not having a great day drinking Mm -hmm. her whiskey lemon what advice are you going to give her um eyes are sparkling right now (laughs) my eyes are you're Um, thinking about it (laughs) i'm like i have to like picture it first if i can i can picture it and and honestly, this first, you know, what I'm seeing is just me, me now watching her then, um, and, and taking her in. And I think first of it is like acknowledging like where I've, how far I've come, mm-hmm. uh, and then looking at her and, and really asking her 
where she's at first, I think is the first part of the conversation. And then kind of leaving this nugget of like, I know where you're at and what you're feeling feels monumental in this moment. Um, but know that even, even this will be a poem, you know, um, even this will be something that is rippled in someone else's sea. Um, and that the things that you are carrying now, you won't carry forever. Um, and uh, yeah, being, I think reminding her of the fear. I think I was really scared when I first got to college and mm -hmm. um, know that this fear will not you know, be your breaking, this will be a refining um, and hang tight because the next five years are going to be the best of your life so far. So yeah. <laughs> I like it. It was very deep. I like it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and everyone follow Arielle, just everything that she's got going on. Um, I will post all your social media handles, everything you got going on in the show notes. And it's just, it's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.